0: Mind the gap
1: Hello and a very warm welcome to Talking Point The controversial podcast where we spark debate and challenge the status quo Today, cultivating accessibility, bridging the gap between reading and rail travel Don't forget you can have your say at www.talkingpoint.site That's cultivating accessibility, bridging the gap between reading and rail travel. Our Talking Point today. Hello and a very warm welcome to Talking Point, number three in our series of podcasts on accessibility. Today. As talks to closed ticket offices at Britain's railway stations intensify, we explore the potential ramifications.
2: Sadly, I have to catch a bus um, every time I want to go to Cardiff because I can't catch a train to Cardiff. Um, and that upsets me because um, I, I have to figure out um, different journeys to get to Cardiff.
1: And what closure might look like for someone with alternative access needs and requirements.
2: I need to get to the station to start with, and I have a walker. So I couldn't really manage. I'm, I don't have um, a computer. I don't have a smartphone. So uh, I depend on those clerks in that booking office.
1: While well, hearing from one determined activist and campaigner with a plan. Lifts at all
2: stations, not just some, and uh, level boarding on all trains. Level boarding means... a a ramp coming out from the actual train itself to the platform so that you don't have any gap uh, and you can go straight on with a wheelchair or a pushchair.
3: And the app is fully accessible and you can locate your RNIB library or calibre library easy enough. Searching for the books is easy too. You can search for the book you want and download it to your device.
1: Yes, it's the turn of the dolphin easy reader the app that's transforming the reading experience of book enthusiasts around the world. We hear from the developer's managing director, Steve Bennett.
3: Also coming up on the programme, I'm going to be talking about the app Discord and how the music industry has been influenced by electronic sound.
1: As always, you can have your say by getting in touch with Talking Point by visiting our website at www.talkingpoint.site or you can email us info at talkingpoint.site And sitting in the comfortable chair opposite, looking more human-like and less like a dog this week, is Martin Rhodes? Martin, hello.
3: Hello there, Philip. Thanks for having me back.
1: Indeed, all fresh from your holidays, I
3: believe. Absolutely, yeah. Very, very pleasant week away down in Cornwall. Good old English Riviera there. A few days down there with family. Quite nice. Stayed in a caravan down there. Was it a camping holiday then? Sort of. Yeah. Well, sort of caravan holiday. Uh, four bit of caravan. So quite nice. Uh, managed to dodge the, the rain showers as well, which is lucky. So. How did you get there? Car by car. Ah, so you didn't go by train then? No, we didn't. But I tell you, it's such a journey, like so journey. You're talking you're talking about six hours, and a lot of it is because motorists' a stupidity, if you like. You know, it just you know a journey that should take about four hours now it takes about six hours. I mean, was that choice? Could you've gone by train? Well, we could have gone by train, yeah. But it's one of those situations where if if we'd have gone by train, if we want if we want if we wanted to sort of drive into any of the towns, so if we wanted to have a, have a drive into Nuki or. Could have hired a car. We could have hired a car when we got there, yeah. But when you've got a car of your own, to go to that train and hire a car when you've got a car on your own, it's probably just as cheap just to drive down there in your own car.
1: And we're going to be talking about uh, trains and ticket office closures. Um, as you know, during the course of today's programme. And um, I just wondered what your thoughts were on this, because, you know, there are only few people now who actually use the traditional ticket office, about 12%, and everybody else has sort of gone digital. You know, I mean, where do you stand on
3: this? Well, it's interesting that you'd ask this question, Philip, actually, because I, I've just recently gone digital for my, my train tickets. Um, and I found that when I used to use the ticket offices... Got quite anxious because obviously I was, I was waiting in line, and then I, I would eventually get to the to the office to the counter there, and I would speak to the gentleman behind the counter and say, "Look, you know, I want it, you know, I want to return to Stoke on Trent or wherever I was going." And he'd be like, well, have you got a rail card?" "Yes, I've got a rail card." So then I'd be looking around for cash. I'd be fumbling around in my wallet and looking for the right cash. And the person behind me is getting quite agitated at this point, and you know, sort of champing at the bit, thinking, oh, "You know, I wish you, I wish you'd hurry up. You know, I, I want to get, I want to get served. I want to get served." And it made me feel quite anxious and it made me feel like I had to rush and whereas if I get my buy my tickets digitally, which I did recently, it breaks up my journey. I can walk straight into the station, I can go straight to the platform and I can, you know, board my train. Now, okay, I, I know a lot of people prefer to use the ticket office as a meeting point to meet assistance, for example, if you have got booked assistance, but surely just changing the designated meeting point wouldn't be that difficult, no? Do you think it's they see
1: everything like a well worn slipper Maybe. and it's a case of they do not want to
3: change? Maybe, yeah. And, you know, everybody, a lot of people struggle with change and I respect that completely, but it's hard to accept something until it's happened. Like, it's hard to think about what the bigger picture will be like until the change actually occurs. Like, everybody says, oh, oh, well, it's changed Oh, I don't know how that's going to be. You know, you, I think there's always a natural hesitancy among everybody, really. I think it's a natural human human nature, Mm. to be hesitant. But if if the change is implemented, you actually think, actually, come to think of it, that was actually quite a good idea. Wow.
1: There's been interesting talking points in the news, Martin, Um, hearing that Donald Trump is uh, handing himself in and will be uh, bailed as well for $200,000. Well, where can he go? Um, And uh, if he ends up going to prison in serving time... Uh, for everything that uh, he's been charged with at the moment. Uh, he, he'll be uh, authorising his own release?
3: Well, yeah, absolutely. I, I did did see that on the news recently. And, of course, there's also the uh, Lucy legby case as well, isn't there, that's uh, making big news at the moment.
1: Indeed, and that's raised a lot of questions, hasn't it?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Because yeah. there
1: was no remorse.
3: Absolutely not.
1: Which is why she's not been
3: granted parole. Parole, yeah, life sentences with no parole, yeah.
1: I mean, if there was capital punishment still in, she would have been hanged for that.
3: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Without a shadow of a doubt. Do yeah. you think we should bring back hanging?
3: I do in some ways, yeah. I mean, if, you know, in in in, in other states, there would have been a far worse punishment than an any minute sentence, wouldn't there? In, like, in the states, like say, in the US, for example.
1: And then we've got the other one of the... Uh, whether we should welcome the, uh, the Prince of Saudi Arabia with open arms, given what he's... Uh, Authorised a huge killing, and uh, witnessed it all. Um, brutally uh, murdered, uh, limb by limb.
3: Wow. Absolutely. Wow.
1: <laughs> and it makes you wonder: with all the asylum seekers who are coming to Britain, are we harbouring potential terrorists? Well, wow. if all these people we've got now in hotels, on barges—which few of them are actually on barges at the moment—still in hotels at six million pound a day. Um, I mean, how do we know who we're harbouring? Oh,
3: you don't, do you? you? do, you like people say, don't you? You, you know, you, you don't know who your neighbours, and you, I guess you don't.
1: Well, there's some interesting talking points there, Martin, for listeners to get their teeth stuck into. And if you'd like to uh, participate, you can get involved on our socials. Uh, we've got uh, Facebook. Just look for Talking Point Podcast Zero. Coming up in a moment, we meet the man with the plan. As Martin and I have just been discussing, the future of rail ticket offices here in the UK looks pretty bleak, especially if the proposals to close them goes ahead because according to the report, only 12% of rail passengers nowadays makes use of platform ticket offices, and 88% are buying them digitally. So it is now a big drive to switch to digital. But not everybody welcomes the news. My guest, Ian Cook, is both an activist and campaigner whose life was turned upside down by post-polio syndrome 10 years ago, relies heavily on assistance when travelling by train has, for the past 10 years, been actively campaigning for level boarding, something he relies on as a wheelchair user, from where his own campaign, Step Free Access, was spawned. Ian, a very warm welcome to the programme. Now, I'd like to talk more about Step Free Access in a moment, but before I do, let's just gauge your reaction to these latest proposals to close ticket offices, and how you see this affecting people like yourself with alternative access needs and requirements,
2: we don't know what's going to happen. To be honest, um, so the the impact of closing ticket offices um, it, it is something that we've got to wait and see what happens. Some people can't use a smartphone, uh, so therefore you, you're stumped. If you if you don't want to go online, you can't use a smartphone. How are you going to get your tickets? So now they've got ticket machines. If you're in a wheelchair, some of these ticket machines are too high for you to, to actually get to now they say they're going to take the to staff out of the ticket offices to put on the platforms or to to help out i don't know whether that's going to happen or not well as we'll, once again i say we'll have to wait and see accessibility now if staff aren't on the platform then they're not going to be there to put ramps up
1: so just to be clear ian are you saying that on train stations where these mobile um, ramps are in place at the moment, um, you envisage, should ticket offices close, um, these, among other services, are the sorts of things that would end up getting overlooked.
2: Oh, yeah, they definitely will. I mean, they are now. Because you, you book accessibility, you can book accessibility on the trains. Yeah. Now, the, the, I've done this on several occasions on several occasions um, there's been nobody there to help so it's, it's a case of you can book it but well, if the staff aren't there then obviously no, nobody's going to put a ramp up so the you- only thing I do I, I keep the door open <laughs> I don't let the door close so the train won't go anywhere so it disrupts everything so all of a sudden somebody turns up with a ramp I go to uh, St Thomas's Hospital uh, quite regularly which is why I started a campaign uh, at Flitik because Flitik was, we got over 2 million people a year, critic station. We're a commuter town. And th- there's no lifts, it's just, just the stairs. So I started the campaign because obviously stairs are becoming more and more of a problem for me. Uh, and then I thought, well, hang on a minute. If critic hasn't got lifts, how many other stations have got lifts? And I found out that over 40% of the stations in the UK don't have lifts. They do have an access for all fund the government, but... It's not enough, and it's uh, it's done on a lottery basis. So you have to put in a tender for your station, and if your station doesn't get funding, then you've got to wait another five years to put in another tender, which is going to co- which costs money anyway for local authorities and, uh, and such. And it's just a, it's an ad hoc way of doing it. Uh, sorry to be so vague on this, but as I say, it's an unknown thing at the moment, so we don't really know what, what's going to happen.
1: Well, just assuming they do go ahead, what measures do you think ought to be implemented to ensure continued guidance and support for persons with alternative access needs and requirements? What do you think should be in place?
2: Lifts at all stations, not just some, and uh, level boarding on all trains. Level boarding means uh, a ramp coming out from the actual train itself to the platform so that you don't have any gap uh, and you can go straight on with a wheelchair or a pushchair or uh, a suitcase that's on wheels. Or, so that's really what's got to happen.
1: And the government's plans have certainly oscillated in respect of this, getting level boarding on all trains. It was first proposed for 2030. And now I read somewhere it's moved to 2070. So the chances of it happening in yours or my lifetime uh, is perhaps very remote, if at all. But in terms of your own mobility needs, Ian, uh, you were saying you were diagnosed with uh, post-polio syndrome 10 years ago. Um, In what way has it impacted your mobility? and especially in relation to train travel. What's been your experience here?
2: Um, I won't go into what post-polio syndrome is. You can look it up on Google, it's a bit more complicated. But at the end of the day, muscles that you were using begin to sort of fail, because they were affected by polio. But as you were younger, you could use them. Uh, The older you get, your neurons don't regenerate, so therefore you can't use those muscles. So, So that is happening now for me. My, my right leg is now getting a lot worse than it ever was. In the past, I've been very independent. Of the I've lived a full life, got married, kids, grandkids. I, I've had a good job uh, as a compositor in the print trade. Life's been good. But now my independence is being taken away simply because of this step free access issue. Um, and, and I find that um, annoying and frustrating also find it discriminatory, because why should I have to uh, ask for help when the technology is available for me to be able to do things at my own pace as and when I want to do them, not have to wait for taxis to turn up to take me to the nearest accessible station, which if you turn up and go now at Flitwick, they will get you a taxi to Luton Airport Parkway, which is 20-odd miles away. So that not only puts an hour on your journey, uh, also if, if you're in a wheelchair and they, they book a taxi, but taxis have turned up that you can't get a wheelchair in, so they have to book another one. It's turn up and go. It's not turn up and go. It's turn up and wait, in
1: my estimation. Why do you suppose it's still happening? You say the services are in place but are not delivering. What do you see has been the underlining problem here?
2: The problem lies that whoever decided on who's going to do what, where and when uh, about accessibility um, has never actually had any um, experience of, of, of a disability themselves, visible or invisible. So getting disabled people on committees, uh, on advisory panels, etc. I'm actually on the advisory panel for East-West Railway now, which is a brand new railway that's coming up. Right. I'm quite adamant that as it's a brand new railway, even the stations that do exist, because there are stations that exist between Bedford and uh, Bletchley, even those stations all need to be level boarding. As somebody on the access panel, I've, I've spoken to several people on the access panel, and we're all of the same opinion, brand new railways can be built to include level boarding at all stations. You've got buses, where the step comes out to meet the curb. Now the curbs are different heights, but that bam, still comes out and meets the curb because it's—I don't know whether it's laser-driven or whatever—but it finds the curb and it meets the curb. They could do that on trains, and in 2023, we ought to be looking at things like this.
1: Just in conclusion, Ian, what do you see as been the main barriers to accessibility at the moment? And how do you see funding helping progress in terms of step-free access?
2: My campaign, I've been trying to get media and politicians on board. One or two politicians do get on board, but then they, they falter. I mean, Sarah Olney, who's a Liberal Democrat, has actually raised this in Parliament, but then she raised it and then it all went dead. Politicians don't understand Mainly because a lot of politicians possibly don't use public transport, or they don't have any uh, idea of what it's like to be a, have a, have a mobility issues. Funding, they, they need to get funding to actually make all stations level boarding. But the, the point is, Philip, this will affect everybody in the UK at some point because the older you get, using stairs becomes difficult then more and more people will use the railway. So therefore, the funding will come back to the railways. So it's not just disabled. It's everybody will benefit from level boarding. And the sooner the government realises that and the train companies realise that, the better we'll be.
1: Ian, thank you very much indeed for joining us today and sharing your thoughts on the proposed closures of rail ticket offices and how you see it impacting people like yourself with alternative access needs and requirements. And Ian also has his own petition to try and help um, bring about level boarding across all the rail network for all trains, and you can find it on change.org. Just search for Step Free Access under Ian Cook's name. In the meantime, Ian, thank you very much again for joining us.
2: Well, thank you for giving me the chance to talk on this podcast, Philip. And thank you for your continued support and support I look forward to talking to you again sometime.
1: Ian Cook. And incidentally, I've written extensively about this very topic on my blog. It's entitled The Future of UK Rail Ticket Offices, a two-edged sword for persons with alternative access needs and requirements. Just head over to philip uk forward slash my dash blog. Harry Newman Depeche Mode to Jean-Michel Jean The 70s laid the electronic foundation Technological leaps made synthesizers mainstream setting the cultural beat As we enter the new romantics of the 1980s we find visage blending style with synthetic sound. <laughs> While Dupesh mode took it global, fusing electronic beats with popular culture. From underground to MTV, electronic music became the soundtrack of a generation. So, Martin, I think it's a good idea to give you the opportunity now, having listened to uh, some of our listener choices regarding electronic music. Uh, let's find out from your good self what sort of electronic sounds have caught your imagination over the
3: years. I quite like Kraftwerk. Uh, she's a model. It's that sort of driving sort of bass line and that sort of that sort of real synthetic sound. She's a model and she's good. I'd like I feel like it's got it's, it's a real sort of retro feel to it and I quite like that. I've always liked anything retro.
4: She plays hard to get, she smart sometimes
1: you prefer it over and above sort of the acoustics
3: i think it's got its own place really i feel like there's, you know, there's a separation between them yeah absolutely and you've got an
1: appreciation for both i have yeah
3: but i think a lot of that's down to do with my upbringing because i've always you know i've always been brought up to appreciate all different types of music different genres of music
1: And it's interesting that electronic music has now been given the credence it deserves, um, particularly in the the field of academia. Up until only about 10 years ago, it was your um, analogue-sounding music, your acoustic musics, uh, that were in the Hall of Fame, I suppose, where now the electronic, the sound of electronic music, has been also put on a par and can now be studied at university level.
3: I think, I think it's a good idea for younger people to be able to the younger generation to have, have an idea of where the bare bones of music came from in modern day music you know like, oh, okay that's where it came from I think that's really important
1: Do keep your suggestions coming in. My thanks to Chris Nash, Jenny Tate, Yvette Broadhurst and one or two others as well who have been in touch. We do read all your uh, suggestions, your own comments and so on. Keep the conversation going on social media as well.
3: This season we've been looking at accessibility as part of our series of podcasts. And I'd like to thank you, the listener, for getting in touch with us and telling us which apps have changed your lives, which apps that you enjoy using.
4: The Bank of Scotland app is fantastic. It works seamlessly with voiceover and lets me access my paperless account information on my phone while also checking balances effortlessly. The app makes paying bills a breeze and ensures top-notch security with two-factor authentication and text alerts that are easily accessible. I even use the app to pay in shops using my phone. Although it already has built-in security, I added an extra layer of protection by using a code before finalising payments. The only minor drawback is that occasionally it doesn't recognise my facial ID, but I suspect it could be due to me wearing dark glasses.
3: An app that I particularly enjoy using is Discord. Now, Discord is an app originally designed for gamers and still very much is. has become quite accessible over the last few months or so, really, for voiceover users uh, using iOS. For example, you can create voice chat channels with it. You can create messaging channels. And when you put a message in those channels, it goes out to everyone who's subscribed to your server. It's quite useful, really. It's come on leaps and bounds. What I mean by accessible is... You can navigate through the menus of it quite easily. So you can you can scroll through your server menu. You can access your voice messaging channels. You can access your text messaging channels quite easily. And that's something that you never used to be able to do. So it's quite a recent thing, and it's revolutionized the way the app works for voiceover users, really. Uh, the idea of it is that you can send push to a lot of people at the same time to say, like, look, you know, we're on this server, we're playing this game, or... We're on this server and we're having a discussion about X, Y, and Z. I think that's what makes it so appealing to so many people because you can get a message out to so many people at once immediately. So that's been my app of choice. Uh, Now, in the next episode of Talking Points, we'll be discussing some of the apps that you've been using that have changed your life. So uh, do keep your suggestions coming in. Very much appreciated. We do read them all.
1: From the screens we tap, to the cars we drive. Technology is reshaping our world. But what's the real cost behind this evolution?
5: According to a report by The Guardian, electric cars produce zero exhaust emissions, making them environmentally friendly options for the transport sector. However, it's essential to consider their reliance on electricity, a significant portion of which is still generated from fossil fuels. Moreover, battery mining for electric vehicles can result in environmental damage and social challenges in some regions.
1: Yet, as we embrace modern advancements, it's vital we understand the carbon impact of their creation.
2: Based on data from the United Nations Environment Programme, the manufacturing industry accounts for approximately 21% of total global emissions. Fast fashion known for its cheaply made clothing largely from plastic materials, contributes to the growing environmental concern. Notably, these garments are discarded in oceans and shed microplastics in every washing cycle, posing additional threats to marine life and ecosystems.
1: Noteworthy is that figure 21%, over a fifth of emissions coming from manufacturing. Commenting on this, listener Caroline Sherrett writes...
2: Coming from a woman who has a big interest in holidays and fashion, I hold my hands up to buying into it, probably looking at Instagram and lifestyle ideals too much. Sites like Shine and Cider are highly desirable, both price, choice and style. I find it really, really hard not to use them, even though I do care about the environment. Most of the garments come in unnecessary plastic packaging. Shine now has a sustainability and social impact page that talks about supporting the community and independent designers, but it doesn't address plastic use or emissions from transport. Ideally, they need to ditch the plastic and bring a hub to the UK.
1: Not forgetting, of course, those irresponsible leaders. Leaders who would much prefer to tell the public, do as I say not do as I do, as in the case of the UK Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak, who appeared on British television recently to answer a question on his own choice of flying by private jet from London to Asha to unveil his carbon capture programme, which incidentally was denounced by the Green Lobby as a waste of public money, as they claim it was using untried technologies.
4: I'll be flying as I, as I normally would. And that is the most efficient use of my time. But again, I think actually that question brings to life a a great debate here. If you or others think that the answer to climate change is getting people to ban everything that they're doing to stop people flying, to stop people going, to stop people going on holiday. I mean, I, I think that's absolutely the wrong approach. Right, that's absolutely the wrong approach I, I, I mean every prime minister before me has also used planes to travel around the United Kingdom because it's an efficient use of time for the person running the country so I can keep focusing on delivering for people but if your approach to climate change is say no one should go on holiday no one should take no, on a plane a I, think in, you, a I think you I think you are completely aircraft, and I'm, utterly wrong am i right that is absolutely not the approach to tackling climate There's a difference change. And actually what a we are doing what we are doing what we are doing is is investing in sustainable aviation fuel as one of the new technologies like carbon capture and storage, will will help us make the transition. It's not about banning flying. It's about investing in new technologies like sustainable aviation fuel that will make flying more sustainable. That's the right approach to this. But I look forward to having that conversation with you again. Thanks very much for having me.
1: By Jove, that was very interesting, Martin. Um, Prime Minister there on public television, making a public spectacle of himself, I think. Uh, Rather blasé,
3: don't you reckon? Absolutely. I mean, he, he didn't even answer the interview interviewer correctly. That wasn't what he was asking him.
1: Absolutely not. I and mean, it was all about social responsibility and taking a, a more greener approach to you know, to travel, you know, reducing his carbon footprint. We're all been told that we you know we must consume responsibly, and the justifications he gave. Well, previous prime ministers used to fly around the country. Well, what sort of justifications
3: that? Well, yeah, and I think it's a case of do as I say, not as I do, isn't it, sort of thing. You know, if, if if they're expecting the general public to do that, then surely the powers that be in government should be the same thing, though, singing to the same song.
1: Do you accept now, then, that uh, climate change is a reality and not just a myth?
3: Oh, absolutely. I always have done. Now, I could probably do a lot more to help, but I've always accepted that it's an actual reality. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Well, that's interesting because it brings us on to a lovely little conversation about social responsibility and how we can become more responsible consumers. Because at the moment, um, electricity in this country is still predominantly fossil fuel, and that's the big issue. And it's all the forest fires that we're witnessing as well, Martin. You know, we've been listening to quite a few of those in the news um, one over in uh, Yellowknife. I've never even heard of that until
3: recently. No, I haven't either. Yellowknife. No, I haven't. I watched a when I heard it. I was like, where in the world is that? <laughs> uh,
1: North America. <laughs> right. And um, we've also been looking at Tenerife. Yep. Spain have also had their fair share. Yes, yeah,
3: yeah.
1: And is it Greece?
3: Yeah, Greece. Yeah, some, some, some of the Greek islands, yeah. Can- Canada? Yeah, yeah.
1: So it's happening...
3: Yeah, no, it is. And it
1: certainly is a reality. Now imagine waking up to that.
3: You you couldn't believe it. because It's just unthinkable, isn't it? Really, it's awful.
1: And yet people are still prepared to stand and watch the world burn because they do not want to change their lifestyle.
3: Change their lifestyle habits, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's it's quite incredible. And I was
1: just thinking about one or two of the things that we do that you know might be a good suggestion for other people to look at. Um, one of the things that I do, I make sure all my technology is switched off when it's no longer in use. I used to have the habit of um, leaving it on yeah. all day and perhaps I'd only be using it for three hours out of 12. Yeah. Well, all that nine hours worth of energy... Gone, you know, just going to waste. Yeah,
3: absolutely. One of the things that I do, I've got a Wi-Fi kettle, but I don't actually use it anymore. So I've turned it off at the wall. And I thought, because I think, to myself, well, do I really need to boil it remotely? Like, you know, I can just get up and boil it from the device itself. There is a button on the base that enables you to do that. So mm. I've turned that off recently.
1: Oh, indeed. And um, I'm finding that, you know, it's saving money as well as reducing my carbon footprint. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I had quite a little bit of a surprise from British Gas not so long ago, when they wrote to me and said that we're reducing your electricity direct your direct debit for your electricity account by fifteen pounds a month. So that's uh, quite a considerable saving over a year. Absolutely. You know, and that's just my sensible consuming and responsible consuming, uh, paying dividends.
3: I know, absolutely. Can't can't say any fairer than that.
1: I mean, I speak to people and I hear people and they're talking about we have to put the washing machine on every day.
3: Yeah, Why? Every day. Why? And, and surely that isn't good for the drum of your machine. Like you, you, You've you got to have a certain load, haven't you? A certain size load mm. as well. So you can't be doing your... Not only are you not helping the environment, you're also not helping the, the longevity of your washing machine.
1: <laughs> well, absolutely. <clears throat> but when you start figuring it out how much everything costs... Um, When it comes to consuming energy in whatever way, Um, it's amazing how they all add up over the year. Uh, Your wireless router uh, or your modem works out at about 54 pence every 24 hours. Uh, so you've got four smart speakers plugged in, or yeah, three. I have, yeah. I'll say four. There you go. Yeah. That's uh, £2.16 and pence
3: yeah. a day. And the hub's on all the time. And the hub's
1: on all the time. The
3: router, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So again,
1: we could look at ways of uh, reducing carbon footprint by switching these things off.
3: Absolutely. I don't need all the speakers on all the time. Not really. No. no.
1: And people have their microwaves on. They said, oh, well, we need it for the clock. That's a very expensive and very environmentally unfriendly clock. clock yeah. I mean, what happened to the wind-up clocks? That didn't even pose any threat to the environment.
3: Nobody thinks about those anymore, do they? They, They've they've been chucked in drawers or put to the back of... up in lofts or to the back of your storage units or, you know, yeah. I'm
1: pleased to say I have a mechanical clock by the bed, Uh, I have a mantle clock downstairs that's mechanical, and my grandfather's clock is mechanical.
3: Yes, wow.
1: So none of those actually are consuming energy and posing any environmental risks. People leave mobile phone chargers plugged in needlessly. Yeah, they do. Uh, they're the biggest cause of house fires as well. So uh, again, just a bit of forethought might help to a, drive down your carbon footprint. But again, we've got to all come together.
4: New York City's climate clock is due to tick down below six years for the first time. And campaigners say that's how long we have left to prevent the worst effects of climate change from becoming irreversible. Wow.
3: I just hope people are actually going to take some responsibility for their actions. Well, if
1: these forest fires and all these various fires, wildfires that we've been witnessing and the soaring temperatures that Europe have had this year when we've escaped them so far... Uh, thankfully, because of the uh, the Gulf Stream,
3: yeah, we see it, we
1: Europe has suffered. You know, 40, 50 degrees. 50 degrees is half the temperature of the moon, surface of the moon. And you get irresponsible people on the beach who will, on interview, on camera, say, hmm, if this is global warming, bring it on.
3: I'll get me factor 50 out um, or whatever, you know, ridiculous.
1: Well, that's not going to be any help to you, is it? But oh, there you, you go. Know. Do keep your suggestions coming in too. We'd like to know what your sort of uh, uh, energy-saving tips are. And um, you can also have your say on our social media at Talking Point Podcast 0
2: According to research by the World Resources Institute, deforestation leads to the loss of 15 billion trees annually, releasing around 1.5 gigatons of CO2 into the atmosphere.
5: Oxfam's research highlights that the carbon footprint of the wealthiest 1% of the global population is 175 times that of the poorest 10%. This stark inequality sheds light on the unequal distribution of environmental impacts, emphasising the urgency for collective action to address climate change and achieve a sustainable future for all.
1: Well, coming up, we're diving into the science behind one accessible app that's changing lives for book enthusiasts.
4: Browse for a new bestseller or search for an old favourite. Follow along with perfectly synchronised text. It was the best time of day, the July sky cloudless.
1: Yes, it's the turn of the dolphin, easy reader. We hear from its developers' managing director, Steve Bennett.
0: I want to highlight a particular concern related to mobile phone services. Many providers tend to share essential information, such as billing updates, phone usage, support details, and changes to terms and conditions solely through website links. Unfortunately, this approach makes it inaccessible for individuals with sensory issues, particularly those experiencing severe light sensitivity. These links are usually sent via text, without any alternative means of accessing the information. This practice is highly exclusionary and definitely requires improvement.
4: (laughs) Docs, Easy Reader. Easy
3: Reader. Side menu. I got the Easy Reader app several years ago, and the reason why is all my books could be found in the one location from RNIB, Bookshare, or Calibre, or whichever library I wish to use.
1: Well, as we've been hearing, Dolphin Easy Reader is your one stop answer for all your reading needs as it's been carefully crafted to cut seamlessly across Android, Apple and Windows, supporting various reading formats from DAISY to PDF.
3: It is easy to use the app, pick out your library you want and search for your book. Once your book is downloaded, each time you go into the app, the the app will remember your place in the DAISY book or MP3 book. It is a fun app to use. With special features
1: for those of a neurodiverse background, including ADHD and dyslexia.
3: To make the text easier to view, EasyReader includes the option to adjust the text size, choose a dyslexia friendly text font, and adjust the line and letter spacing.
1: It's the brainchild of Dolphin Computer Access Limited a company devoted to developing innovative software solutions designed to make accessibility a breeze, from where I'm now joined by its Managing Director, Steve Bennett. Steve, thank you very much indeed for agreeing to talk to us today.
0: Uh, Thank you, Philip.
1: Quite a wealth of topics for us to delve into, from the EasyReader's core philosophy and excelling features and its key role in your company's broader inclusion programme. Let us start by looking at why it's called Easy Reader and how it's made reading more accessible for your users.
0: Uh, so, the Dolphin Easy Reader is, is in fact a, a collection of apps. So, it's an Android, uh, an iOS, uh, and a Windows app. And those will work on Android phones or tablets or Chromebooks, iPhones or iPads, and then Windows 10 or 11 we've connected to 44 the world's libraries uh, and we've connected those directly into the app itself so what we wanted to do is create an experience where you could browse in the library stay in the app uh, download a book um, and then select the book of your choice whether that's audio or text only or audio and text Uh, and then just you could read it at your leisure whilst in that app so it would have a look at all of the accessible forms of books which are working there as well Uh, we're also keen to make sure that it it used uh, the accessibility layers so in the case of the apple devices that it works thoroughly with with voiceover and android talkback windows narrator or one of the other uh, screen readers that's available there vital to me was that it not only was it the same app and the user experience but the book content i don't really want to have to explain that it's a different interface or a different way of using it because it's a daisy book it's daisy 2 or it's a daisy 2 audible or it's got text in it or it's mp3 we support all of those um, and what we've tried to do is make it so the user has the same play experience
1: Exciting stuff. You mentioned at the end there, Steve, about the user having the same play experience, irrespective of what um, format they were using. How does that work?
0: So having found the book, then you can tap on it. And what we'll do is it'll pop up a little synopsis, and of course, of the book itself. And it will also, the, the download button will be there. And at the bottom of that little synopsis, there'll be the ISBN, the author's name, and some more book information if you want to double check. The download button is selected, um, and then the download button will turn into a track bar and give you the progress on the download. Having got to 100%, if it was a a textbook, it comes in a zip, so we unzip it for you. And if it's audio, do something really similar, do a little bit of encrypting. Um And then you just, the uh, download button now turns into a play button, select that, you'll go. Uh, visually, we've tried to use some high contrast colors in the player itself. The customer can use uh, dark mode if they prefer uh, on Android or Apple, or, or of course in, in the Windows as well. For the more uh, technically able uh, voiceover user, Oh, there's a raft of things where you can use the rotor um, actually in the content yourself and you can move around by uh, different navigation points if you wish.
1: Well, it certainly sounds like you've pulled out all the stops there, Steve, uh, to introduce these modifications into the program uh, to simplify the process for uh, users with sight loss to access and read the books of their choice. But what of those from say more neurodiverse backgrounds persons with ADHD or dyslexia for example what have you done to simplify the process for them
0: that's a, another good question i was recently at a school and noticed a, a, a user who i, I th- had some dyslexia and uh, i noticed that they were using the text in a completely different way they changed the text font to one that suited them. The letter spacing and the line spacing and the margin has all been adjusted. And they found some color settings from our templates that suited them as well. Um, so they were able to adjust it that actually uh, sit, uh, it helped them read it. So I, I noticed how quickly they were reading when those those different settings were made. As opposed to... Uh, there was another student in the class I, who I believe had uh, ADhd um, and they hadn 't changed the color settings what they 'd done is is they restricted the reading view to actually two three lines at a time. Uh, they didn't like the, the fact that they could see uh, 30 lines on at that particular font size. What they've done is just ready to put it at three, so they could read those three lines or read along as it read to them. And then they could go uh, and, and use it. Uh, yeah, it helped their concentration in that particular case. Uh, every time you make an option, you make it more complex. Um, And there are a a raft of different settings in the options there. What we tried to do is, uh, along with the RNIB, we've offered free webinars uh, for the teachers and for people who work with the students Mm. to explain how they do those settings, how they're set up. They've been very popular. I mean, we must have done somewhere over 50 now um, over different time periods, at least one a month.
1: By Joe, Steve, what an interesting set of uh, testimonials there! And it goes to show the power of Dolphin Easy Reader, no longer just a reading aid, but a teaching aid, uh, encouraging people to read with confidence, perhaps reading almost for the first time uh, with any degree of interest um, because like with everybody who has you know alternative access needs those with neuro diverse conditions and no exception they all probably come with their own unique set of challenges but it's about finding you know solutions to any challenge and certainly the dolphin easy reader has filled that gap without a shadow of a doubt. And on that point, I was thinking, if I happen to be of a neurodiverse background, is there anything you think I should know about beforehand, before I go ahead and download this onto my you know, device? Um, obviously, I want to get the most out of it, calibrate it to my liking. But if I'm not altogether au okay fait with the, uh, the application, um, what would you recommend I do first?
0: I would highly suggest that you you watch one of our tutorial videos and then you can see the settings that can be made to actually it. What you don't want is small print, white background, black font, maybe Times New Roman appearing because that's that's the same as a piece of paper or the text on any screen. So watch the videos, pop in there, have a play with the settings, find what suits you. It will remember those settings so that it's only something you do once Every book will open as suits you. Uh, My professional delight is to see that uh, everyone has realized at long last that the text, when available for someone with visual impairment, doesn't just suit that person. It suits somewhere around 10% of the population. And so many people win when that text is available. So um, because the libraries have this copyright exemption for the print-impaired, we've had to extend the feature set um, and look at more how we can accommodate this wider group of people of print-impaired.
1: Wow, Steve, that's absolutely amazing. And it's uh, you know been very encouraging to learn all about the different settings. It goes to show... How much energy and time and effort has gone into the development of this um, application, you know, given all the uh, settings and uh, modifications and so on that we've been looking at during the course of today's um, discussion. Um Unfortunately, time is of the essence and the clock is against us, but in the remaining couple of minutes we have left, I would be interested in learning more about the other file formats Dolphin Easy Reader supports and uh, what you see as being perhaps some of the key considerations here.
0: We have access to uh, two formats, which is DAISY, and that can come in DAISY 202, DAISY 3, um, or EPUB. And then EPUB could be EPUB or EPUB EPUB 3. So those are the text formats. Uh, Sorry, DAISY is also an Audible format as well. Um, We've also made the apps that it works with uh, the Word format, DOCX, and we're working hard now on the PDF as well. Uh what our users want is the same experience. They're not interested in what the file format is, they just want the same reading experience and that's that's how we've kind of tried to concentrate the app experience. Play will take you forward, you have a list of page numbers, we pick up the headings, you start you return to the book at the same place that you left it. Um so it's been our job to make sure that those formats all um are of the same experience for the users in the apps.
1: Well, it certainly sounds like you've got everything covered there, Steve, and I'm genuinely excited about the PDF being a student of the Open University. But just in conclusion, and I think it's an ideal opportunity for you to shine and sell EasyReader to the world. In speaking with one or two people ahead of today's uh, discussion, somebody turned around and made the point, why would I want to download EasyReader? when everything EasyReader can do, I can do on my phone already. How would you respond to that claim?
0: Uh, So the app itself um, obviously is designed to go on your mobile phone you could go on the web page and you could go through a browser and then it downloads somewhere onto your device and then you go and find it with another player and then you bring it back. What Easy Reader does is joins up the experience so that you actually have something seamless. There's a flow. I think I mentioned earlier you you you, you connect to the library, you down you find the book of your choice, you download it and then it opens up uh, and then you can read it from there. So it's it's. That's what the apps give you. It's that joined-up experience. And, of course, that will be common across any device you pick up as well. The experience remains the same regardless of the platform.
1: I think you sold it very well there, Steve. Thank you very much indeed. And for all your insights in the uh, Dolphin Easy Reader, uh, looking forward to uh, receiving more about the updates uh, that we've been chatting about and uh, can't wait to get you back on the programme again at some point. But in the meantime, do take care and thank you once again.
0: Uh, You're welcome. Thank you for the invite. It's been a pleasure.
1: Steve Bennett, Managing Director, Dolphin Computer Access Limited. And Easy Reader is available for download from the App Store. Just search for Dolphin Easy Reader or by going to their website www.yourdolphin.co.uk By Jove, Martin, that was uh, an action-packed episode.
3: Absolutely, I think we crammed quite a lot in there today.
1: Certainly has, and uh, gone from climate change to Richie Sunek to to um, Dolphin Easy Reader.
3: Absolutely, wow. <laughs> and it's
1: your second month as co-presenter.
3: Absolutely, and I'm thoroughly appreciating it. I find that uh, my points are a lot more free-flowing now than they used to be. I don't seem to have the uh, the nerves that I once had, which is nice.
1: Is it getting easier
3: then? Yeah, absolutely. Yep, yeah, it's a pleasure. Absolutely it is. Good yeah. fun. A lot, a lot of fun.
1: And the Dolphin Easy Reader, that's been interesting because we are looking at uh, accessibility. Last time we looked at the Victor Reader uh, from Humanware. Similar sorts of things, although one's an app, which is the Dolphin Easy Reader and the other one is a, uh, a handheld device. Yes. Uh, doing pretty much the same sort of thing, although looking at the um, the actual pros and cons uh, the dolphin easy reader does actually have more pros than cons against the uh, Victor reader uh, because of its flexibility and versatility.
3: Yes, obviously the Victor reader you'd have to you've got to make sure that uh, it's got sufficient battery before you sort really of take it out with you. Now you could apply the same logic to the phone, but I just feel like you'd you'd be probably more likely to have your phone with you.
1: I'll be interested in hearing what you see as been the pros and cons from perhaps say an iPhone perspective and a desktop perspective, because you and I both
3: use both. Okay, so from the iPhone perspective, first of all, you can download books from it in Daisy format quite quickly, um, especially from RNIB's library, no problem at all, from the Reading Services library. When you are running your phone in flight mode, for example, uh, you can't open EasyReader very well. It will take a while to load up. That's definitely one of the cons, at least, for me. Now, regarding Windows, EasyReader for Windows... That works quite well. Uh, it takes a little bit longer to download books. It also doesn't always remember your login. So even if you tick the tick box to remember your login, when you first open the app, you still have to log into it with your credentials before you can log into the library.
1: And then navigate away from that page yeah, yeah. to start the process again. Yes,
3: yeah, so you've got to close that page. in whatever your default browser. It's and start the whole process again. Yep. Yeah.
1: I've noticed that one thing that has been fixed that I have noticed on the iOS side, on the iPhone side, is um, last position. Yes. Uh, We were talking about that during the course of the interview with Steve. I can back out now on a search result of looking at a particular book title. It takes me back to where I was rather than back to the beginning of the search results.
3: Yes, I've noticed that too. And I've also noticed that when similarly regarding positioning, when when, when you play a book, because I've got more than one iOS device, so... When you play a book, if I start to play a book on one device, I can pick it up exactly where I left off on the other device, and it's seamless.
1: So, so all the synchronicity is all. Yes, very
3: good synchronicity well. seems yeah. to be. Yeah,
1: that's interesting. What do you reckon to the paid aspect of Dolphin Easy Reader, though? Because obviously they've been making the app available for free, which you know, hats off to them. It's admirable.
3: I'll be honest with you; I haven't looked into what the paid side of it entails, as it. As it stands at the moment, as I use EasyReader as the end user, I don't know how I would benefit from the paid service.
1: If you've got it on multiple devices um, or you're using it on multiple devices, that synchronicity we were talking about earlier is, I think, where it comes into its own. Right, okay. I mean, it, So it works like, like you know, you know IMAP uh,
3: yeah, I IMAP on an email. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, if, if I thought it would benefit me, would I pay for it? Yeah, probably, if I thought I was going to get some use out of it. But only if it gave me capabilities that it doesn't give me at the moment like I'm I'm quite happy with what it gives me easily gives me at the moment as an end user
1: well coming up next month on the program we're going to be continuing our theme on accessibility um, and looking at some of those apps that we've been encouraging you uh, to uh, share with us uh, that have changed your life
2: the Halifax app is incredibly accessible in fact I would say it is 100% accessible. Some taxi apps aren't too accessible, though, because they can't use your current location or they
4: have unlabeled buttons.
1: That comment sent in to us by Tory Tennant. Thank you very much indeed. Keep your comments coming in. We'd love to hear more about those apps that are changing your life. Email info at talkingpoint.site. Uh, Martin was talking about Discord earlier. Have you been getting a lot of joy out of that, Martin?
3: I have. You know that there's a few few servers that I connect to quite regularly. A couple of guys I chat to in the States on there, and uh, yeah. we've had some quite interesting conversations. And they 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 sort of agree with me with the uh, as regards accessibility. It seems Indeed. To be in concurrence. So.
1: And we've still yet to uh, firm up our interview with uh, Microsoft. So looking at the Seeing AI application and um, Be My Eyes. They're another sort of two um, key players in accessibility. Um, we've been given the red light, well, the green light, I should say the red light, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the green light, uh, so to speak that okay. you know they are prepared to talk to us. Um, yeah. I've just got to go ahead and set all this up.
3: Looking forward to that. Uh,
1: so that should be interesting. So we will be looking for your uh, listener questions again if you would like us to pose anything to uh, both Microsoft and Be My Eyes um, do let us know uh, you can send in your comments uh, your uh, general feedback or any questions you would like us to put to them and we'll certainly do our utmost you can send voice notes now uh, via email to info at Oh yeah, Martin, we were talking the last time on the programme about uh, perhaps uh, collaborating with Piers Morgan.
3: Yes, yeah, it would be quite interesting. Uh,
1: do you think mm. it might just be too much of a muchness, though, because of the way we are and the way he is? It
3: could be, yeah. It could be
1: too, uh, too much Too like many like minds
3: in one room, yeah, absolutely, yeah. It could well be, yeah.
1: Um, mm. Where would the think... elephant in the room be? Yeah, absolutely, you'd wonder, <laughs> wouldn't you?
3: Yeah, you'd wonder.
1: Um, but you came up with a wonderful suggestion before we came on air about uh, interviewing each other about our own passions.
3: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We wow, had a bit of
1: a well, a bit of a trial run, didn't we?
3: Yeah. Yeah, we did. I think it went quite well, wasn't it? Hey, welcome to the program. Where today I'm joined by my guest Philip Anderson, and uh, he's here to talk to us this afternoon about his appreciation of antiques and antique furniture. So, good afternoon, Philip.
1: Good afternoon, Martin. Thank you.
3: Thank you for joining us today. Well, to be honest, I put myself on your side of the desk for a change as opposed to co-presenting, and it was quite uh, quite interesting. I, I didn't realise it was uh, something I could pull off the way I did, really. Well, cool. it
1: got us thinking about actually running something for uh, a particular episode. Yes. Um, where we could sort of engage you all out there as well, you know, uh, to share your passions, and we could perhaps feature those on the programme. Sounds like a plan. Make quite a nice, interesting montage there, couldn't
3: we? Absolutely, yes. Yeah, a like a good plan that does. <laughs> It's good to get people's passions, isn't it? People, everybody's got a pie. Everybody's got something that they're interested in, and that they can sort of wax lyrical about for a while, if you like. And I think that's not. It's good to good to give people a voice.
1: You can visit our website where you can download this episode and listen to others in the series. Just go to talkingpoint.site, or you can email info at talkingpoint.site. And don't forget, we're always on the lookout for future talking points. So if there's anything you would like us to uh, talk about on your behalf, or you would like us to even have you on as a, perhaps a guest editor, um, who knows? We could get you on Zoom. <laughs> uh, that would be absolutely mega. Um, do get in touch with us. Info at talkingpoint.site. In the meantime, though, I'm out of here. I'm Philippe Anderson, and you are?
3: Martin Rhodes.
1: Bye bye for now. <laughs>